set up here, if y'all would turn in your Bibles to the book of Philemon. Sometimes that's a difficult one to find because it's only one page in your Bible. Maybe two pages, I don't know. Depends on how large the print is. Since it is just one, one page of text, only 25 verses, um, which again, we're not going to make it through in its entirety. We're gonna be picking back up around verse eight, but we'll be reading verse seven to put it into context. But I'm gonna go ahead and back up all the way again to verse one and then read through verse 25. All right, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me and your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. And so we have read the word of the Lord and now let's turn to the Lord of the word in prayer. And Wes, would you lift up this time for us? Amen, thank you, Wes. 
Just uh, to offer a little bit of background, especially if you weren't here last Sunday, we did more of an in-depth study and look into the background of Philemon and what it was written for and who it was written to and who it was written by. Um, But just a brief summary of that before we get into the scripture verses today. But Philemon was written around the same time as the book of Colossians and probably also around the book, the same time as the book of Ephesians, which most scholars try to pinpoint the date to be in between sometimes 60 and 62 AD. And there is a unique link to Philemon that was found when we did our study in Colossians, which is why the two books usually come together in studies. I'm not saying it's always that way, but because Onesimus is, is mentioned at the end of the book of Colossians, uh, we put a placeholder there and said we were going to get into that more when we got into the book of Philemon. So this is the one who we're primarily focusing on, three main or primary uh, characters or individuals in the book of Philemon, those are Paul and Onesimus and Philemon. And you may remember that Onesimus, he was a runaway slave and his owner was Philemon. And apparently Onesimus had come to receive Christ as his Lord and Savior and he desired to do what was right by returning to his master Philemon. Now for one, he would have been complying with Roman law, you know, being subject to the law of the land, this would have been appropriate for him to go back and then to receive whatever punishment that he was deserving of. And as a believer, you know, we want to do what is right. So Onesimus was prompted by that. Probably Paul also initiating this and helping Onesimus to get up the courage to want to do this. And that's one of the reasons why he's writing this letter on Onesimus's behalf. And he just wanted to do the right thing by his former master Philemon who was still on the books technically his his master physically but now they were together brothers in Christ so he wanted to do what was right by him now that they are sharing in the faith and just to seek for forgiveness but more importantly just to want to do the right thing uh, by God and his word and seeking forgiveness of someone that you feel that you have wrong so Paul is writing this letter as an appeal for Philemon to forgive Onesimus and to receive him back uh, as a brother in Christ, not just as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And last week, the focus was more on the character of Philemon and how the traits that Paul saw in him as a brother in Christ sort of divinely lend themselves to his ability to forgive a runaway slave. And today we'll be learning more about the character of Onesimus and why Philemon should forgive him based on what Paul saw in Onesimus's character. And that's why I feel it was good to separate these out and to spend some time with each individual in this book. And it was made pretty clear by Paul in our text last week that Philemon was a Christian. One of the ways we know that is because of the way Paul addresses him, you know, calling him a brother in Christ and the fact that his home was the location for the church there uh, in in Colossae. And to further support the fact that Philemon is a true brother, Paul acknowledges Philemon's love and faith in the Lord when we look back to verse five. So if you still have Philemon open, just go back and you can see it there in verse five where Paul states, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Uh, just some statements of fact that Paul makes about Philemon and we can sort of infer there that with a heart of one who loves the Lord combined with a faith that is possessed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then there should be a product of that faith and of that love that emanates from them and that is also seen in love and not just you know loving everyone but particularly loving the saints, loving those who are within the body of Christ. 
So there is now a challenge, though, to see if this love is the real deal, if it really is of God. And this is the challenge that's going to be Philemon's. If it is of God and the type of love that God has for us, and that is that agape love that we spent some time talking about last week, the love that overcomes challenges, the love that chooses to love over an offense. If it really is that type of love, then Philemon should love Onesimus past this offense, this egregious offense of running away, leaving his duty and his obligation. But Philemon, if he really truly has this genuine type of agape love, then he should be moved uh, towards forgiveness of Philemon. And really the only way, if we can know that we possess this love of God within us is to have that love tested or challenged at times. And this is what is going to be happening for our brother Philemon as we look back having the advantage of, of hindsight here. But know also that this is taking courage for Onesimus as well. One, he has to face the journey back to his master. And remember when we were talking about Tychicus having to deliver the letter of the, the Colossian letter to them, that he was going to have to travel great distances by foot. He was going to have to hop in a boat. He was going to have to sail across, I think it was the Aegean Sea, and then he was going to have to take another 100-mile journey from the coast up to Colossae. And this wasn't just hop in your vehicle and drive a couple hours to get there. This was a long journey. And for, for Onesimus, it would have even been more dangerous because there were slave catchers of those days who were like bounty hunters where they would go out and they would pick up these runaway slaves and they would take them back and they would receive some kind of bounty for them. So imagine the courage that it took for Onesimus to be willing to go on this journey and we know that this is part of wanting to do what was right and having that faith that God was going to see him through this. Now Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's compelled by his love for both of these brothers to write a letter that seeks to foster reconciliation. And although the word forgiveness does not come up a single time in this letter, I think we can hear it throughout. So you'll be hearing me say and add in the word forgiveness a lot, and I think that's because we can see it in between the lines of, these, of this text. So let's uh, come back to verse seven, and I'm gonna read a few verses, and we're going to unpack these a little bit more together. Verse seven says, for I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Well, Paul himself is saying he's been on the receiving end of Philemon's love. He knows firsthand that Philemon possesses this love for all the saints, that Paul has sensed it in him and felt it himself. It wasn't just something that he heard about, but he had experienced it. He had received much joy and comfort from it, is what he says in verse 7. And even though we covered that verse already last week, I think there's an important reminder for us here, and that is to not just try and respond to Paul's appeal to forgive, because we sometimes just only put ourselves in one place. We might take the role of Philemon here and see Paul calling us to forgiveness. And I think that's a right thing to do as we look at application to this passage of scripture is how, who do I need to forgive? And how do I forgive? What is the appropriate response when somebody has offended me? But let's look at Paul's perspective for a little bit. When we see someone who is loving in this way, do we ever say anything about it and try to affirm that in them? And when we see somebody loving in such a way, maybe forgiving an offense of another brother and sister in Christ, we should look to encourage and affirm that love in them, just as Paul is doing here. It's like, 
wow, I, I see how you know, blessed I was in just kind of taking a, a back seat and observing this and seeing how you were able to forgive and you were loving this person past an offense. Now, I, I want to encourage you to do more of that. You know, this is a gift, this gift of love that we have, and, and I appreciate you showing it to others. You know, knowing we've been on the receiving end of love for someone else and have seen them show that same love for others, we should do our best to affirm that in them. And this is what we want to see in the body of Christ. We want to encourage this when we see it. Maybe people don't even recognize this about themselves, but God can use you to affirm that in them. So I think there's some application that we can use there if we look at it from Paul's point of view. If we look at verse eight now, there is a change in the tone here. And it's almost like there is something more urgent or serious. Now Paul is getting down uh, to what you call the proverbial brass tacks. Accordingly, he says, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. And the word accordingly that begins verse eight in the ESV translation, it references back to what Paul has already affirmed in in Philemon, that in accordance with you know, how I have seen you love, I've seen you love this way, I'm appealing to you because of this. And that's the accordingly is linking it back to that, that Paul's seen this love, and so, yes, I encourage you, you should be able to do this. And it's very much like using the word therefore, which I believe the NASB translation uses that to begin verse eight. So it always brings back something that has been said prior and pulls it into that text when we see a word like this which is why I wanted to read verse seven uh, right before we got into verse eight. Now remember that unlike other letters that Paul writes, this letter did not begin with Paul referring to his apostleship credentials. Like normally he would start out a letter and in the introduction, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He doesn't do that with the letter to Philemon. Uh, in fact, I think maybe Philemon is probably the only letter that begins the, a different way. And we'll look at that here in just a moment. Um, if when he cites his apostleship at the beginning, uh, he used that to validate the things that he would be presenting in the letter, which normally delved a little deeper into the theological waters and doctrinal principles, as we saw in the book of Colossians. And he would begin that letter by referring to his apostleship. But the letter of Philemon starts off with Paul saying that he is a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Now, if he had started off with his rights as an apostle, then he probably would have went after Philemon a lot more strongly here, even commanding him, because he says in verse eight, I could have commanded you to do this, and he probably would have went back to his apostleship, but no, he's appealing to him from that platform of his own imprisonment, and also his being a bond slave to Jesus Christ, and that sort of levels the playing field here with what he is saying, I'm, I'm equal with you. So here, as, it's as if to say that he had every right to do it, <coughs> In verse eight, you know, he could command him, but rather he comes back once more to love. And that's where verse nine picks up. He says, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. And that love that Paul says he saw in Philemon was the exact same love that Paul is now speaking from within himself. He's appealing from this love. And that is what he is appealing to Philemon from. It's that same love that we talked about last week, the agape love that can overcome an offense. Now Paul says he is an old man and men of certain age were probably more respected so maybe Paul is using that as part of his appeal here. I think someone has said that Paul may have been around 60 years old which have been really old for men of this time. 
I mean, like the normal age for, for men before they passed away was like peak age around their 40s. But Paul has made it to be a really old man and, and he mentions this and I don't think it's a way of Paul demanding this that he respect him, but he's just talking about his condition. Um, he doesn't possess any physical power, so to speak. You know, he's putting himself in a place of humility. An old man, he's a prisoner, um, not to elicit pity from Philemon, but just to recognize that as he makes this appeal, he's speaking from humility. So a heart full of love, but also humility. And he says there in verse 10 now, he says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And this is an endearing statement that Paul would at some point discover this wayward slave on the streets of Rome maybe and have taken him in and ministered to his needs and shared the gospel with him and been witness to his conversion and now he views him as his child. Now that was just me providing some speculation as to what might have occurred there because we don't have exactly what happened if it was actually Paul who found him and ministered to him and, and converted him. But I sense the, the way Paul uses uh, this appeal and saying that Onesimus is his child, that Paul very likely was the one that shared the gospel with Onesimus. And I would guess that is why Paul would say this. But again, that is only assumed uh, because Paul says Onesimus is his child. But maybe it was that Onesimus was fatherless. You know, maybe he had been an orphan. He'd been a slave for most of his life. Maybe he would taken at a very young age. And Paul had then assumed a fatherly role in his life. And I would say that Paul was that to many men in his life. And he refers to Timothy in much of the very same way and to Titus and a few others. And Onesimus must have had a true devotion to Paul himself because he was with him in his imprisonment. Uh, which would tell Philemon that this really wasn't the same slave that had run away from him, at least in character. That if he were the same slave, he might have come and he'd minister to me for a while and just felt maybe it was out of obligation because I gave him a meal and then taken off himself. But this was not Onesimus. Onesimus had truly been changed. And that was by the gospel. And it should be pretty evident to one who is reading this letter. So as Philemon is sitting there reading this letter, about Onesimus, I can only envision Onesimus standing before him just kind of waiting at the outcome of it, seeing what would happen. Again, that's just me speculating, but this would have then led Philemon to know that something has changed about this former slave of his. And that, to me, speaks of repentance. You know, when we repent, that means we are turned from what once marked the character of our life, and then we turn to God and we look to him to help us in our walk with him. When we become a believer, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, so we do have these enablements within us to live a life of repentance, a life that is in step with the Spirit and not walking and desiring no longer more the things of the flesh, to live a changed life, and that is what Paul builds on uh, starting in verse 11. So we can see, you know, kind of turning to the character of Onesimus now that he was repentant, he's not the same that he used to be. And then Paul says in verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. And I don't know if your translation, the way it includes verse 11 is in parentheses or not, but it's almost like Paul is taking a little aside with Philemon here. 
at just a moment to plant this in Philemon's mind in case he hasn't discovered this already with what Paul has said. This is what he said prior, that the slave is no longer you know, who you once knew. This is his way of stating that. He was useless at one time, now he is useful. And any of us, prior to our rebirth, prior to regeneration in Christ, Onesimus and us, we just were acting according to our flesh, acting by compulsion like all of us would do apart from a relationship with Christ. And I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter two. And we're gonna look at verses one through seven, but I wanna first read verses one through three because I believe this really illustrates who we are apart from Christ, apart from that relationship or rebirth. This is what Onesimus was before he was saved. Ephesians two, beginning in verse one, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. this, This was all of us prior to the saving work of Christ on the cross and putting our faith in him and repenting of our sin. This is where we were. That's why the song Amazing Grace says, I once was lost, but now am found. This is what we were lost in. This is an Onesimus, even before his conversion. Before he ran away, he was only serving his master because he had to. And eventually he found a way out and he took it. And there was nothing really to compel him to stay there except maybe fear of the repercussions, but that wasn't enough to hold him there. He was acting in his flesh nature. There was no obedience there for him. But now, having been reborn, Paul says he's going to be like doubly useful to him because he is not only going to serve for the sake of Christ, but he is going to be serving alongside with Philemon and Paul as fellow brothers in Christ. Remember the leveling of the playing field in salvation with all of us being bondservants to Christ. And then coming back to that passage in Ephesians now, I'm gonna pick up with verse four because here's the flip. The flip side of this We read the before, now the after, and it starts off with but God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. All of us, prior to salvation, are living apart from God, dead in our trespasses, acting out sinfully in various ways according to our sin nature, but God, but God, the one who is rich in mercy, he has saved us by his grace, and this was not of any doing of ours, it was his grace, it was his mercy, it was his salvation, it's his righteousness and his forgiveness, it's his everlasting life which he bestows upon us, it's all of God, and that is only how we are changed, is by him and through him. Formerly, we were like Onesimus, we were useless, but now useful. And some commentators say that Paul is making a play with words here, Because remember last week, the name Onesimus and what it meant, it meant useful. Right there, it says, once he was useless, but now he is useful to you. Once he wasn't living up to his name, but now he is. And then in verse 12, Paul is sharing here how painful it will be to him 
to lose Onesimus. In verse 12, he says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. There was a strong emotional attachment here for Paul to even say that he was sending his very heart. And most of us being a parent know the attachment that we have to our children when we send them off to go somewhere, it almost feels like you know our heart is going with them, that somebody's taking a piece of us with them so we can sense what Paul is talking about here and, and that he is sending his heart with Onesimus. So truly he felt like a father to him. This was Onesimus to Paul, so this could be Onesimus to Philemon as well. How could Philemon reject what Paul has now placed so much value in? And the appeal of verse 13 is that if Paul thought Onesimus would be rejected, he would not have sent him because he would have been glad to keep him there that he might serve Paul in place of Philemon. So last week, the proven love that Philemon had for the saints would provide confidence that Philemon would probably have no problem with Onesimus staying and ministering to Paul. But then again, Paul does not want that to be presumed that Paul and Onesimus were acting by faith, by faith alone, and then were putting that responsibility on Philemon to decide what he was going to do. And Paul says in verse 14 that he wants his consent, that he leaves the decision to Philemon so that the motivation is, might be shown by his own willingness to perhaps send Onesimus back to Paul and minister to him. Now Paul has seen the effectiveness of Onesimus's ministry to him and he was willing to part from him so that this reconciliation can happen, but then that Philemon might want to send Onesimus back so he can continue ministering to Paul in his imprisonment. He was more valuable to Paul because Paul found himself in a very poor state and poor condition, being an old man, again, and appealing maybe from that and also being in prison. And so Paul references that again. He says, during my imprisonment for the gospel, So if Paul is willing to serve Christ all out in this way to the point of being imprisoned and facing execution for the gospel, then how could Philemon not forgive Onesimus in view of these circumstances? And Paul's just being honest here. He's not trying to be manipulative. You know, like keep in mind I'm an old man and keep in mind I'm in prison. It's not that. We have the advantage of being able to communicate uh, almost at will now We can even send a picture of what our condition is like in order to appeal to someone, but Paul is putting all this into a letter so that Philemon really gets an accurate picture of what is going on. Paul is simply being truthful. This is is the need, and this is what it looks like here. And I know it sure puts things in perspective when we consider our own prosperity, you know, how we thrive really here in this nation. And we might complain about these first-world problems you know, like, oh, well, my refrigerator ran out. What am I going to do? You know, or my, my car's been acting up. and we, we complain about these different things, but if you really put it into perspective and see those who are serving abroad and those who are actually going to their death for the cause of Christ, um, how could we not be compelled to, want our, to give of ourselves to meet their needs as best we can, especially if we are the body of the Christ and that is how we want to minister to each other. So Philemon, hearing this from Paul, could be, should be compelled to say, 
I don't need Onesimus as much as you do and maybe even send him back for that sake. Verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So even Paul admits that he does not know the secret providence of God and this is indicated when he just takes a guess at what might, God might be doing here. He says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, that perhaps God is working in this way, and that the whole reason for his parting was that Onesimus would have a heart change and then become this wonderful example of forgiveness by doing, going back and reconciling with his former master. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So in fact, what we are seeing here, and we again have the advantage of, of hindsight, we, we can see this process of forgiveness that God is using. And if we think about it, because we as a church are studying this letter, we have that advantage, we have that privilege of being able to see what God was doing and moving in this letter and this to become part of our scriptures today that we might be blessed by this story of reconciliation and forgiveness and take some application from this to our own lives. And I wonder if Paul would even think that it would have gone that far as he was speculating here, perhaps, perhaps it would do this. And I think it's pretty incredible when you think about how God's providence guides circumstances in such a way that only by looking back can you see his grand and masterful plan, but only up to a point. We only see things to a degree. And then God is continuing that work in something that he began with maybe the genesis of this being, this letter to Onesimus. You know, in Romans, Paul's writing of God's providence by saying this in Romans chapter 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. And I think it's just an amazing thing to know that our sovereign God is moving in things that we don't even understand to bring it about for his purposes, his good purposes. And when Onesimus had originally left Philemon, then he must have been thought, this was quite an impact to his livelihood. I mean, slaves were very valuable and to lose one was like losing a, a vehicle or some important instrument that we had to do our work and that was what it was to him. He lost time, he lost an investment, he lost a slave, he probably thought he would never see him again. May have been lamenting about this as I probably would if I were to lose something that was of value to me and wondering how God could be working in that for his good will. But never would Philemon or Paul have thought that God would be guiding the escape of a slave from his master to bring us a wonderful example of forgiveness that we are still benefiting from today. Only God could see how he's working something good in the all things that must have at the time seemed like a very, very great inconvenience to Philemon. Onesimus' conversion gave him prominence and that he was now a child of God along with Philemon, and therefore they were spiritual family members, brothers through a relationship with Jesus Christ. When Paul says in verse 16, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
And the reality of the worldly social standing relationship that Onesimus and Philemon have with that of slave to owner. And that was where it stood before Onesimus took off and ran away. But now Onesimus, now having come to faith in Jesus Christ, they were equal in being bondservants to Jesus Christ. And that was what Paul wanted to see elevated above all else is that this is how Philemon would view it and this is how you can forgive him by seeing yourself as an equal with him in Christ's eyes. I'm gonna finally uh, wrap up here in verses 17 through 19. So if you read along with me back in Philemon. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even of your own self. There would be no way that Onesimus could pay back the debt that he owed Philemon from time taken away, possibly money that was stolen as well. Onesimus could not have worked up enough money to do that. And when we think about forgiveness, we think that there must be some kind of restitution involved, but there really could be nothing offered by Onesimus except the hope that Philemon would show grace in response to his apology. However, Paul again wants this to be Philemon's own volition. So he offers to pay whatever is owed him if necessary. He says, I will repay it. And Philemon, of course, owes Paul more in the grand scheme of things, especially if, if Paul was the one that presented the gospel to Philemon and maybe he was saved as a result of that. <clears throat> but stopping here today, I'm gonna wrap this up. We find ourselves ending on this story of a debt that is owed and the one who is owing it cannot pay it. But someone steps in this being Paul in this instance, and offers to pay the debt on their behalf, even though they did nothing to earn it. And to me, maybe I'm reading too much into the text, but there is definitely imagery of the gospel in this passage. Paul is standing in as the mediator to pay a debt that someone else cannot And there is imagery in the gospel of that passage. And our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did that for us. Paid the debt that we could not pay. In our sin, and we read it in in Ephesians, just a while ago, Ephesians 2. In our sin, we were helpless to buy ourselves out of God's judgment. We were deserving of his wrath. We were in need of forgiveness. Maybe you are still under his wrath and in need of forgiveness. Maybe that is you today. But before relationship in Christ, that's where we stand. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Charged to us was our sin. And Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. That's where we were. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, gave us of himself by sending his only son to take our sin debt to the cross and dying the death that we deserved. And he poured out his precious blood so that we might be forgiven for our sin. Jesus' last words on the cross is that Greek word, tetelestai, which translate is finished. But I've also seen it translated as debt paid in full. It is done, it is reconciled. And for those who put their faith in that finished work and repent of their sin, then forgiveness is theirs. Forgiveness is ours. 
simply by putting our trust in Jesus Christ and turning from our sin and turning to God who is the one who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousnesses. And we could not have bought ourselves out, but he did it for us. And so we owe him everything. We owe him our very lives in service to his work. So may we take this to heart and advance his kingdom as bondservants together for Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time just spent in your word and had Ben had prayed at the beginning of this that the worship that we all so often think is just in, in the music that it is found also in just our reading and studying of your word together. So I pray that this worship was pleasing to you, God, that the things that were said and expounded upon by me and put into my notes were of you. And Father, if there's anything there that was not that you would quickly strike that from our minds and only let the essence of your truth remain there, that we would build upon it and grow from it. God, that we would live a, a life that is truly changed, that a life that is keeping in line with repentance. Thank you for the examples that we have of these three men in scripture that show us a good example of what love and forgiveness and reconciliation look like. And thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who came and took it all, who paid the debt that we could not so that we could be forgiven. And Lord, I just want to thank you for that message that you have for us today and just a small letter of the book of the Bible that it is there for our good and thank you for working all things together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purposes. And please forgive me where I think those all things are just overwhelming and I don't see where you're working in it, but God, in your sovereignty, you know, and you see ahead the things I cannot. Help us to simply trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.